the idea that masculinity is tied to being straight is so deep in society. It's just so, you know, it, it would just, I mean, maybe all it would take would just be enough, like, cool dudes that everyone admires to be like, yeah, I fuck dudes too, to, to really shift it. There's, there's always rumors that, like, Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando were lovers, or Marlon Brando and Richard cool. Fire were lovers. And there's something exciting, there's something like, oh, that's great, good, good for them. You're listening to the Disaster Feminist Podcast with me, Abby Holland. Hello, everybody. What's up? It's me, Abby. I'm just hanging, chilling, surviving the pandemic as much as I can. Uh, Mercury's in retrograde right now, so everything seems to be um, a pile of shit. Technology isn't working. uh, Communication is off. All all of the things. I'm sure you guys can feel it, too. Um, I'm actually going to get uh, laser hair removal this week, and... uh, (laughs) Next uh, episode, I'm going to have to tell you all about it because, I mean, I've gotten all sorts of advice. I have um, asked questions. I've looked at videos. I've watched things. I've read things. And some people are saying, eh, you don't need the, cr- the numbing cream for this, these electro shocks that are going to be happening on your skin. And then other people are like, definitely use the numbing cream. So there's that. I have to like shave everything. You have to shave all the areas that you want to be lasered. That's a thing. Um, and I don't know whether to do like just my bikini area or just like do the whole shebang down there. I mean, I know you're supposed to, it it needs more than one session to work or to actually remove the hair. So, I mean, I don't expect all the hair to be removed, you know, this one time I do it. So, but I am getting a full body and it's just, it's the laser's going to laser everywhere besides my head and my eyebrows pretty much. (laughs) I've waited so long to do it and I finally bit the bullet and I had a, I got a recommendation from a friend. So, and the person who's going to be doing it is the person that my friend uses. So we'll see. Um, I'm nervous. Uh, I have literally no idea what to expect besides these, you know, YouTube videos that I watch and stuff. So we'll see how that goes. Um, let's see. We have an election coming up. That's zero fun to talk about. (laughs) I don't even, I don't have nothing to say. I mean, it's, it's tough. I want people to just go out and vote. Please vote. I'm voting for Biden and Kamala. Kamala? Kamala. That's how you say it. Kamala. That's good. Um, what else? I'm, I'm kind of mourning the summer still. I, I just... It, it, it is still nice in New York right now. The temperature isn't crazy. There have been a few cold nights, but for the most part, like today, it's going to be high 60s. Tomorrow, it's going to be 70 degrees. So I'm still thinking about summer, summer camp, you know, being with my friends, going to summer. I actually went to a a divorce camp. (laughs) 
weirdly. I didn't go to like a fun summer camp. I went to uh, a camp for the the kids from divorced parents. <laughs> it was called Camp Hope. Uh, and weirdly, I just watched the movie uh, Heavyweights, the Disney movie uh, with, with all the, the, the bigger kids that go to like quote unquote fat camp. And they like bring candy with them, and Ben Stiller's the, the the mean guy tries to make him lose all the weight. And that camp in that movie is called Camp Hope. And I was like, "What the fuck? Did I accidentally get sent to a fat camp? <laughs> it was a big ruse." Yeah, 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 Abby. This is weird at first. It's 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 definitely for divorced kids. I'm gonna just tell you that weird lie first. But you actually <laughs> are going to a fat camp. I was a fat kid. I wasn't a fat, fat, fat kid, but I was like, I was a bigger girl. I drank a lot of Coke, a lot of Coca-Cola as a kid. Whatever. I was drinking my feelings (laughs) from the divorce. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I'm talking about summer camp because um, my guest today, uh, I guess you could say is the first guy, the first male guest. Uh, That's interesting. I plan on having uh, many more during this uh, Disaster Feminist podcast. And um, yeah, his name is Gianmarco Soresi. I'm probably saying that totally wrong, and he can correct me if I'm wrong. Gianmarco, Gianmarco, Gianmarco Soresi. Uh, he is a stand-up comedian. He lives in New York. I think he's so funny. I met him a couple years ago. We did a sketch. We filmed a sketch together, and I thought he was so funny. Um, he does Jeff Goldblum impressions. He's very active on Twitter and Instagram, so you should follow him. And he used to do musical theater. He also comes from divorced parents. He was in the movie Hustlers. He had a very brief cameo in the movie. I wanted to talk to him about that, what that was like on set. There was a female director. Um, he was on the Real Hives, Real Housewives of New York, um, doing stand-up. You know, in a scene where Luann, I guess, was auditioning people, something like that. He talks about that, um, and he talks about uh, a very uh, cool experience that he had at summer camp. And you know, we talk about sexuality. We talk about you know all sorts of things, feminist and beyond. And I was so happy to have him. And I can't wait for you to listen. So here is Gianmarco Soresi. How long have you been in New York, by the way? Oh, so long. I uh, 2012. 2012. Um, well, I beat you. I'm like at year 13 right now. God damn. Good for you. I know. And where were you before? Where were you living before that? I was at uh, Miami. I was at the University of Miami um, for, for musical theater. Then I joined like an acting company in Philly for like half a year. Um, and then moved to New York uh, for like three months, then went backpacking in Europe for three months, then came back. Very cool. Very cool. Moved here in Harlem where I've been for you know, the seven, seven years or eight years or whatever. Um, and yeah. Holy shit. And Harlem is actually where I met you for the first time because we did a sketch together with Megan Sass. Yes. Yes. So long ago. Which sketch was that? Oh my God. You're like, um, who are you? Uh, no, no. I, I remember. I just, um, which sketch it was. I forget. I think it was about. Yeah. Maybe it was that about that like phone about settle 1-800-SETTLE. It was about like settling. Maybe. 
Maybe. Megan and I did a lot. Or there was a Meninist sketch. Yes, that, that's it. That's it that's yes. Hashtag ha- checkmate feminists. Check. Yes, that's yes, exactly. Which is feminists. perfect. And like adds on to the reason of why I wanted to talk to you too, because there's so many, there's, I don't know. I just find it like fascinating, especially with you having like a musical theater background mm-hmm. and um, like comedy and like you, you, you just like, you do so many things and I think you're so funny. So one of the uh, few things I wanted to ask you about. So you're an actor, you're a comedian, you, you're in SAG you're on all sorts of sets, like all the time, commercials. Not all the time. I mean, uh, not all the time. Not all the time. But like, you have a lot of credits, and I feel like you, you're like a hard worker, and you're out there. And one of your most famous credits, I'll have to say, is you were in the movie Hustlers. Yes. For like a very funny, quick scene, and very I funny. and I just have to ask you because in that in the, in this particular scene, and people should go should go watch it. Um, Jennifer Lopez and like all these three other women are surrounding you at a bar and they're kind of like, you know, trying to take advantage of you. And, uh, and there was a female director, right. On that set. Uh I'm just curious as to like what your experience was like with like being surrounded by such like female energy like that. You know, it was so, what's funny is that like, that is definitely the thing that most people have seen me in. It really (laughs) lasted like 30 minutes. I, uh, I think I reported the set at 10 p.m. So everyone was very tired. Um, and we just kind of, I waited at the bar and J-Lo came out. And I remember, I mean, the, the, I think the, the thing about a lot of women on set, like she was having trouble with like her dress and she was just like, it's making my tits all. And it was just like, it was just where there's women around just like, you know, yeah. they're very honest. And I was just, hi, hello. And, uh, it was intense because J-Lo is just one of those people. It's like a mix of starstruck and a mix of just like someone you've seen on TV for decades of my life, decades. And then it's, it's, it's there in front of you. Yeah. And you really just want to stare. You just want to like walk around and just be like, Oh my God, you three like dimensions. Gorgeous too. Right. Like She's stunning. Uh, and it just, you know, I, you don't know if you're adding, you're adding your own thing to it, but it just feels like a movie star walks in the room. There's just a presence. And, um, and it, you know, she, I, I don't even know if I talked to the director that day or we just said, hi, she yeah. said, I like your audition tape or whatever. And um, I never did a callback in the room. Like audition was just on camera, wow. uh, no callback. Uh, and you know, JLo stands next to me and she's like pressing her leg against me. And I'm like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, uh, come on. If that's the scene where she's trying to like flirt with me, like that's part of the thing or whether I'm too close to her and I need to move away. Um, and she even, she even got there. It was like 30 minutes before she said, like, I didn't initiate conversation. She said, hi, I'm Jennifer. And you go, hello, I'm John Marco. And uh, it's one of those things when someone's that famous, if they just introduced themselves, you're like, they were so nice. What a swell. So nice. They said their name. <laughs> uh, but it's like, I, I did one, I did a show, uh, it was called Unforgettable. And there was an actress named Lala Anthony in it. And oh, she's yeah. Very, yeah. yeah. 
So I just didn't know who she is. It just is not part of my pop culture knowledge where Lala Anthony comes in. I don't do basketball either, so I don't know Carmelo Anthony is her husband. And I just thought she was another actor, you know, like we're actors. And at some point I was like, hey, do you mind if I borrow your iPhone charger? She was like, sure, sure. She lent it to me. And then later we're all talking and she was like, yeah, I was so tired. Last night I I was doing karaoke with Drake and he went up there and I was and I was like, Oh shit. And I went to my phone to look her up. Cause I was like, you don't do karaoke with Drake unless something's going on. Right. And you know, I saw, Oh my God, she's a, she's famous. And I would have never in a million years asked for her iPhone charger. Had I known <laughs> who she was, but she was very nice. She gave it to me. I gave it back to her. But it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, I would never go up to JLo. Hey, do you got a charger? Do you, do you have, do you have any lip balm? I would, that's insane. Right. Oh my God. So, so you're, the the filming of that scene was not that long and there was only minimal grinding, I'm assuming on your legs from them. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, you know, luckily it's, uh, luckily I I play a lot of anxious characters. So if I'm just feeling anxious to be there at all, it kind of just, I let it feed into whatever that is. Yeah. But every I mean it was one in the morning by the time we shot it, everyone was tired. Um and it's 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 disarming because you do the scene four times and no one says, Good job. I think maybe what you know, I'm looking around just to know I'm not fucking it up royally, or it's it's a part that could be cut from the movie. So you're looking around for anyone to just go like Yeah, anything. and, and, and they're moving, they don't got time for me. And, uh, you know, we did like four or five takes. I don't think there were any notes. <laughs> um, it was more, you know, leaving frame fast enough. And, uh, yeah, I think she was doing it for the scene. Because every time I sat back down, you know, she'd like kind of nudge up against me. And, you know, it's just like I just I just let the discomfort of not being sure how to react be part of that scene. Wow. Well, congrats. I remember, I remember watching it and, and, and watching that scene. I was like, Oh my God, I know him. (laughs) It was really cool. It was really cool to see. The worst thing I did, it was one of those movies. A lot of people saw it on airplanes and the most obnoxious thing I did, I was going to South Carolina for a comedy gig. And there was a woman next to me who we, we had had friendly conversation. She was watching. And I, I like, I said, Hey, that's me. And then she, you know, it was fun. Wow. And she was like, oh, I was like, I'm performing. And she was like, I'll come. And then she never came. But it was, uh, yeah, I thought it was cute. I could see from a different lens. It looked like the most narcissistic <laughs> thing. But it's surreal. It's surreal. I'm like, yeah. is, I mean, what are the chances? I would have been like corny and said something to have been like, hey, that's... That's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Um, so another show you've been on uh, is the Real Housewives of New York. You did stand up on one of their um, on one of the shows, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess you could call it that. It felt <laughs> it felt like a film shoot was going on, and we decided to put on a show next to the film shoot. Like that's how non important we were to what was going on. Um, a friend told me that it was like the the thing was structured like it was a podcast event 
and it was raising money for some anti-bullying organization. But it just was like them eating dinner. I don't even watch a lot of The Real Housewives. So frankly, I was a little bit high for that because it was so weird. It was like one of those situations like this is terrible. This can't go well because no one's watching. So I got a little stone, more stone than I uh, when I was there. I was like, that was too stone for what I'm about to do. And so they're doing this podcast show. The French guy, the French ex-boyfriend or whatever. Oh, yes, yes, yes. He did stand up. And he went first and it was clear like, okay, no one's watching. The cameras were just filming them eat and making bitchy comments to each other and like, oh, you're going to drink? And I... Luann, yeah. And people were tanking. And I have that fantasy. Every every comedian like, okay, I'm going to be the one to like crack this whole thing wide open. Yep. And... I did not. Uh, no one did. <laughs> um, but I got some people, like some crew members in the back. They were laughing a little. Um, oh, cracked them a little. Okay, that's cracked good. them a little, but like, but but terrible. And I I I was like, the only way to crack it, I'm going to be high energy. And when you're bombing with high energy, it looks really bad. So I was just relieved. They didn't show a long enough clip to make me look like an absolute fool. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I didn't even know, I thought they just had not aired that section. Like I filmed that a year ago and then people were like, you're on Desperate Housewives. I was like, oh no, 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 no. Okay. It happened like that. <laughs> so I also want to ask you about your um, musical theater background. You, you have, you have this really funny joke <laughs> too, that says you're like, yeah, I'm a triple threat. Like I act, I sing and uh, I'm annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's. I think it's so funny. I mean, I have a musical theater background too. I did musical improv for a long time. That's amazing. Uh, That's in, impressive. In, in the world, I was in the world for a long time. I even auditioned um, for music for musical theater for college. I was completely unprepared. I went to a small like uh, high school, and I didn't like ask for any help. I thought I could prepare myself, and totally didn't get in. Um, and I was like devastated. But um, you went to college for musical theater. Yeah, those those college auditions were brutal. Um, I I think I auditioned for eight schools, and they're just they're nightmares. They're nightmares because so much rides on this. Like when I auditioned for Juilliard, and you get your first callback that day, and I did not get a callback, and I was I was fucking devastated. But I auditioned for NYU, Juilliard, Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, University of the Arts, North Carolina School of the Arts, University of Miami, NYU, and Juilliard. Brutal, brutal, terrible oh. time. Um, you pro- so you're you're a straight guy. Were you the um, only straight guy in the in like the whole class? It is an unfair stereotypical thing. I feel like. Um, well, I've heard theories. I had a friend who said, I mean, it definitely is. It's just a, it's just a reality. I was, I was not, I was, uh, not the only straight guy. There were definitely less straight guys by the end of college, um, <laughs> which is how it always went. I, mean, I, I went to a lot of musical theater camps where, you know, I've had the, I've had a lot of, I've, I've been with a lot of men in the moment they have come out. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. I, I had a friend, I had a producer friend, um, 
and his theory behind it was like theater was uh, an earlier early time where you could express yourself in so like in in a community that would just be the place you gravitate towards which i think is also the same way i gravitated towards theater where you know some weirdos go to theater i think some some closeted kids go into theater it's just it's a space where people who are feeling things or a little bit out of place might gravitate towards um for sure i went to a lot of camps where like you know there there were less straight guys at the end than there were at the beginning um, and I think I, it was a bigger deal, not a bigger deal, but like when I went to summer camps in high school, that's where it was like, everyone was like figuring out sex. Oh yeah. And, uh, I, I, I have a kind of a storytelling thing I do about it, but there, I did this one at NYU at Cap 21, which is the musical theater. It was yeah. a seven week, all these New York kids, like kids who went to arts schools in New York who were like doing Coke and smoking pot and drinking at 15. And I was not that at all. Uh, and, and they were, they were fucking and we would go to hookah bars. And I remember I, all these, all, all the women would make out with all the gay guys. And I was like, I just remember being like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? And I even, my uh, first story, the story I said, my first uh, <laughs> uh, blowjob was in fact, uh, I was drunk, too drunk, far too drunk <laughs> for any sexual activity to occur. And uh, a guy who was also straight told me, he said, I'm straight, but I can make you feel amazing. And I, I, oh. I was like, sure, I'm not. And, uh, and then nothing was going on. So he ended up blowing another straight guy. It was like me and two other straight guys all in my apartment. It was my 15th or 16th birthday wasted on cheap vodka. And he tried on me and I, just nothing happened. I'm pretty sure I blacked out. Probably wasn't good. And that they hooked up. Um, wow. And I woke up and they were gone. And so like, you know, I, I don't look back on it with any ill will, fortunately in the circumstances. No. But like, that's where like the summer camp for me, I, I those summer camps were just a really, you know, as long as everyone was having fun with it, uh, it was like an exciting time of like figuring things out and sneaking. And musical theater camps, they'd always separate the women's and men's floors. And it was like, not going to work here, yeah, buddy. No. Like, <laughs> these guys are right where they want to be. That is so funny. I think it's so awesome. I, I think there's a stigma um, you know, I think it's easier for women to talk about like hooking up with girls or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of thing, or even just like saying what you just said. Like, I think it's like easier for them to like say that kind of stuff than it is for men. But I think it's actually, it's getting easier, I think. or do I, you think think a, I think it's getting a little easier, but I, I do think like the reason that that story was easier for me to first tell, I don't think I ever was hidden about it, but it was because yeah. he was going down on me. I think if it was the other way around, it would be a story that I'd have to sit with myself. I'm not saying I wouldn't tell it because it would be a great story. And ultimately, yeah. I will I will expose anything that I think will, will do well <laughs> on stage. But I, I do think that I think it's I think it's challenging. I think um, I think it's Michael Che, who's a stand up comic and is on SNL. Yeah. 
like he always did a bit. He said, like, uh, who's more homophobic, men or women? And the audience would always say men. And then he would say to the women in the audience, uh, you know, if you knew a guy had slept with another guy, would you ever be with him? And obviously the bit, the general population, there was a big like, nope. And we might live in the most liberal part, the most next to one part in L.A., but I think the majority um, that still is is uh, maybe it'll maybe it'll shift. I think it's moving in the right direction, but I think that is a slow journey for for men to be bisexual, right, and not be eliminated in a lot of straight or bi women's minds as a potential sexual partner. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, it's, it's so complicated because like, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's, it might be easier for women to like come out and talk about their experiences with other women and, but men, but I think men are more accepting of like a, a straight guy would be way more accepting to date a girl who's hooked up with girls for sure. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's just like this crazy thought experiment cultural thing that's happening for sure yeah it's it's so the 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 idea that masculinity is tied to being straight is so deep in society it's just so you know it, it would just i mean maybe all it would take would just be enough like cool dudes that everyone admires to be like yeah i fuck dudes too to to really shift it but I just think it'll be a long time before that comes along. I mean, I, I always, I'm always, I always am kind of, uh, I guess you call it titillated. There's, there's always rumors that like Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando were lovers or Marlon Brando and Richard Fire were lovers. And there's something exciting. There's something like, Oh, that's great. Good, good for them. Or, or that, you know, but I, 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 at least to my knowledge and unless it's very deeply buried, I, I don't, think i am bisexual in that way so it's more like from the sidelines and i'm just like yeah i, I think it should move in a direction where everyone's more yeah yeah i even like even i just think having a conversation about it like we are now is like you know might be like a little uncomfortable but i think if people start talking more about it it's it's just gonna chip away at that you know horrible toxic masculineness and it just it leads me to to want to ask you about like when you were growing up, like <clears throat> as a dude in America, like, do you think that, um, I don't know that you were taught to like be overly masculine. Like it's, it's so, it's so interesting. Cause like I wasn't raised as a, a guy, so I don't know, but do you, do you, do you find that like, as you have gotten older, you realize certain things that you were taught as a kid that you're like, wait, that's kind of like a little fucked up or something. I think I was lucky. I had a very, my dad, uh, he has his own struggles, but like he was a very, uh, very emotionally open, super loving, super, I divorced, I grew up with divorced parents. And like my stepdad on my mom's side, obviously is, is much more, uh, is, is that kind of guy from Ohio. If I cried, he would be the type, type of person who was like, don't cry, don't cry. But my dad was very, very open to that sort of stuff. Very loving, very, 
we had a lot of physical affection. I do jokes about it, but whether it's Italian or just how he was raised, we do a hugging and kissing and it's a, uh, right, right. Yeah. I have yeah, a more, like I have a more, it's so hard to use what words you kind of uh, latch on to, but I, I would describe it as in the traditional sense, the more feminine parent relationship was with my father where there was just more nurturing and comforting and uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, so in that sense, I, I think it was more at school where it just came up not being good at sports. Um, but I never, what I, I went through a weird phase that I still haven't figured out what it was where like in seventh or eighth grade, I would do this back then it, it was comedic. You were comedic enough to just, pretend you were gay or like, you know, like that was a, uh, that was hilarious. And I yeah. went through this phase where like, I would like kind of jokingly hit on the other guys. Like I'll see you later. And uh, yes, I did. It It was like a, it was I, w this thing happened. I, I, I want to write about it someday. So I did that with a lot of friends. That was just like my, and they go like, ah, stop it. And that would be the end. I don't know if it bothered them or not. I don't know if it was a defensive mechanism where it was like, I'm not going to let you call me gay. I'm going to call me gay. First. <laughs> yeah. No one ever sat me down and was like, hey, what's this weird, like, pretending you're gay thing? <laughs> that, would, that would have been a good, a good thing, I think, to analyze in the moment. Uh, but I was very fortunate. Uh, that uh, there was a teacher, very popular teacher, who was out of the closet, um, and he taught the fifth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth. And at some point before math class, I was like dancing, or I was reading, like reading something, just being the class clown. And he said, "Jamarco, don't take this the wrong way, but that is the gayest thing I've ever seen." <laughs> and I liked it. I I enjoyed it. I you know, if I'm the center of attention, I really don't care. That's never been something that's if you call me annoying, that hurts my feelings. But being called gay, I mean, I work at the club I work. There's hosts. This is going to be horrific. But, you know, this is the places I work <clears throat> where he'll bring me up and he'll say the F word or he'll say oh gay. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a rough and tumble place. And. I remember I was trying to get something on tape for America's Got Talent, and I had to say to him, I said, hey, I'm going to get this on tape for America's Got Talent. Can you do me a big, big favor <laughs> and not call me the F word when you bring me on stage? <laughs> oh, my God. But that doesn't, I don't think that's good. I don't, I don't condone that at all. Uh, but that's never been my sensitivity, sensitivity point. Partly because I'm like, I'm not. So when someone makes fun of you for something you're not completely, it's, it, does, it doesn't feel like, oh, you're, you're revealing a truth about me that hurts my feelings. When you call me annoying, I do have a fear that part of me is annoying and obnoxious, so it, it hurts my feelings. <laughs> that is so right on the nose. Like, it doesn't... If someone's calling you something like, oh, yeah, you're so like this, and it completely does not resonate with you whatsoever, it's almost you're able to, like, laugh it off 
in a way because yeah. you're like, that's absolutely, I don't even know, that's not me at all. So I'm happy that you've like gotten to like that, that's... You learn, I, is it okay? I don't know if it's bad that we're focusing, but this is such a big aspect of my life with, with uh, the, when I first moved to the city, I, uh, I did a catering gig and the, me and this other guy, we kind of clicked. We stole a bottle of champagne. We went to get pizza. And he, uh, after we ate this pizza, he very nervously, in a way that made me think he was not out of the closet fully, I could be wrong, but he said, like, you know, I think you're really cute. Do you want to go to a museum some, some museum sometime? Aww. And I, I was like, oh, I'm so, I'm so flattered. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not gay. I wish I was. And he said, you wish you were? And I was like, oh, sorry. No, I, I just, I didn't know how to, I don't know how to do this yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. But you oh learn, you learn gradually. I mean, most of the people, <laughs> almost exclusively people who ask me out, because I'm not very forward in that department of my life, but the people who ask me out tend to be men. Uh, the Instagram messages I get uh, of oh that God, really? from men, yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I've had a similar, like, I have a lot of lesbian friends, and I just kind I guess I found myself just hanging out with lesbians. So, like, there was a, a, a part of my life where, um, lesbians would hit on me a lot too and I'm like uh, wait am I like I don't know and I've I've questioned like bisexuality and all that kind of stuff and I but then I think I realized I was like no I'm like I'm like very just attracted to dudes like if I you know I've made out with girls whatever but um but yeah so that's that's actually happened to me and I I was raised with two older brothers like I've been wearing Birkenstocks forever so people like maybe think that I um, go that way. What am I, 50, yeah, yeah. go that way? Um, but so I totally like get it. I've had to do the same stuff and have said similar embarrassing things like, I'm so sorry, I wish I was, or, you know, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah you know, I, it, I always, I think about it a lot only because, especially once I left the theater, I, I still have some very close friends. It's, it's, I, I still have some friends who are gay. I, I went through a phase where once I got to college, there did feel like there was this divergence where I had gay friends, especially when I moved to New York with a gay friend in particular, where their community started becoming mostly other gay men or like their Friday and Saturday nights were like going out to a gay club or a gay bar where it, where it hit a point where like sexuality became uh, dictated more of what the social thing you all did as a group. And that's kind of where some friends, it felt like we just parted eventually because I wasn't going to go to therapy, which was the bar here. Um, or, you know, if, if they're going to fire Island and that becomes like the big vacation thing, right. you know, that's not a trip. I went to one, I went to one like gay club in, in uh, when I was at university of Miami, but like a, I, I hate clubs period. Same period. I've been in like five and this was just like, this was one of those. It's a good thing to, I think, go through as a man, as a, as a straight man, because going across that dance floor, you do not know what it's like to be, uh, aggressively pursued. Piece of meat. To, 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 to walk and have people grab your waist and just rub their dick on you. You're like, Oh fuck, this is a lot. 
this is all and i'm not i'm not like oh get the fuck away from me but i'm like no, no, oh but, my god what the fuck dude it's it's interesting because like i mean you know i know like feminism is all connected to, to all of this too because it's all the same i think um I think every guy should have to go through that to, to, to just, just be in that energy for a little bit. Like just, just to be in the energy of being kind of like grabbed and poked on. I'm, I'm interested in what your, what that experience was like more. I mean, it's, it's, it's not even, it's more about the constancy of it. I think like whenever you hear, whenever you hear uh, a men talk or, you know, men who are like cat calling is not that big a deal. It's because in their mind, you're the they're, you're the one guy who this week said to someone, "Hey, you look great." And it's like, you know, there was that that infamous catcalling video, where the reason that I think it was so potent was you're like, "Oh, it just kept happening and happening yes. and happening." And Jen, you know, Jen, you know the comedian stand-up comic Jen Kirkman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she's great. There's some bit I'm ninety nine percent sure it's her where she was like, I can't leave my tits at home. Like, I can't, like, go to the store and, like, leave. So it's, 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 you know, I, with stand-up, I work with all, with guys outside of the liberal bubble of New York where, like, you know, most, most of my peers would never catcall. But I've, I've been with guys, some older road comics, road dogs, and, like, you know, they, that's what they fucking do. They, they cat call and, you know, they might've met their fucking wife cat calling. So it's real tough to tell them. (laughs) That's, and that's, what's crazy about it because like, it obviously has worked for some people. So that's why they kind of keep doing it. But for, I feel like the majority of people that get cat called and I think you hit it like right on the head. It's the, it's the amount like yeah, at yeah. one point I could walk down the street and this, this isn't like tooting my horn, like at all, but like it will happen four or five times a day. And you're just, it just kind of like chips away at you. Like the first time you're like, Oh, like, I guess, you know, that was nice or something. But then, you know, when you, what keeps happening to you, it almost makes you, um, it, you like turn into a, like literally an object you know, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but, but I feel like you, you kind of know, you know what that is now. But I think it's also tough because I, if I were to critique myself, I'd be like, I'm, I am, uh, unforward to a fault of rarely asking anyone out. Yeah. Uh, there, I mean, there's a reason that I've been single for a long time. And I think part of it is just like, I, I'm very hesitant because I, I have this thing in my head where I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be a creep. I don't want to yeah. sexualize the situation. You know, like if I'm talking with a woman and I feel like we're just having a good conversation, it feels like I, I don't want to get to the, for me to move it past that, I feel like I'm like, hey, so what if we brought my dick into the situation? Like I feel <laughs> it, but, you know, I'm so hesitant that I think <laughs> I, what, I could critique myself and say, well, I don't, I don't, uh, per, I, I play it so safe. I just don't even participate in the game that is uh, uh, pursuing a mate. And right. um, some of these guys who cat call, <laughs> they're also, they're also have a much more fulfilling romantic life than I do. It's a tough 
It's so, it's such a conundrum. I, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I understand the, the idea of like not wanting to like, you never want to be the person who is like, you know, creepy or whatever. And there's like a real fear there because I know girls, um, can, you know, be like that, be like, Oh my God, he's such a creep. And, and it's like, it's very unfair. And I, ugh, I, it's so hard to unpack, you know, there's, and today the world is so complicated with all the me too stuff. And like, where are boundaries and consent and like creep, not creep. Are you going to get canceled? Like there's so many um, factors. Like I, I feel like I would, if I was a guy, I would take myself out too. I'd be like, well, fuck, I'm not gonna say anything ever. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like there's part of me that's, there's some part of me is like, well, better. Everyone's a little bit more paranoid. (laughs) <laughs> and we all like we, we recalibrate and we play it real safe for a while. Um, you know, it's it's hard. I like I I am a physically affectionate person. I don't know if anyone would necessarily think that about me, though, because I think I play it very safe. But like, you know, I'd, I'd like to hug pretty much everyone I see pre-coronavirus, yeah. at least. And um, but you notice things like I'm a host a lot for comedy shows. And sometimes you notice like, oh, I'm shaking the man's hand and I'm hugging the women. Like, I'm unconsciously doing oh. that. And then, but then there's a side where it's like, oh, I'd hug the men too, but I'd worry they'd be creeped out. Okay, I guess just shake everyone's hand. Or there's that fear. I think mm-hmm. uh, some people are paranoid about it. And the bottom line is, if they were, it's one of those things like you're, you're going to be called a creep if you are in fact being creepy. And if you feel cautious about it, you're probably doing fine. Um, <laughs> um, well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, I think we had just an awesome conversation about like That's so cool. many fun things. Um, do you, do you have anything you're promoting? I mean, I didn't even ask you about how you're doing in the pandemic. Like, are you still booking gigs and stuff? Are you doing voiceover stuff? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been doing some occasional voiceover things. Um, uh, this potential game show. I mean, I've been doing more outdoor shows. Um, oh, yeah. I have, like, thing with stand-up people recently. They've been doing... Yeah, New York is doing a bunch of Central Park, all these parks. So I, I've been lucky to, to get those. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not super high on the stand-up ladder, and it's still like a thing where not every comedian is comfortable with these shows yet. So there's, I've been getting booked more than I thought I would. Um, Cause that's, what's very stressful about coming back is like places are closing. You hope, yeah. you hope people quit who should have quit or would have quit five years from now. Yes. You hope that happens sooner. Get out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I've, I've been fortunate I've been doing a shitload of zoom shows. They're, they're not fun per se, but I think my acting background, I, I quickly was able to know like how to engage in this format. Um, and, and then there's indoor shows that are like coming back in places like Connecticut where it's oh, indoors, it's socially distanced. I'm not sure how I feel. Um, everyone has their own takes uh, of it, if it's a state that's doing better and they're doing indoor shows and it's socially distanced, is it okay? Are you committing a moral crime? Um, 
I think we're all deciding what our levels are, you know, stand up, stand up comedians also do this thing where like, we're notorious for just shitting on our own profession. Like, Oh, you want to, you're going to risk it to see stand up comedy or like stand up just should die. And it's like, well, this is also the profession we've all given up everything else to pursue. There's a weird, we can't, we're very uh, allergic to showing that we care about something. And yeah. so we're just like shitting all over this. And um, I've seen people that have problems with the outdoor shows. And I'm like, my take on that feels more clear where I'm like, if the cases are going down, people are socially distanced. Most of them are wearing masks, but they're otherwise outside. Like the ones I've done, people are separated. Um, it, it feels safe. I will do anything right now. I'll do the Zoom shows. I'll do the outdoor shows. I'll have to decide indoor what I choose if I feel it's safe. But I'm always going to lean towards performing if it feels within reason. Well, I think that, um, I don't know, just from like social media, like looking at, you know, from an outside perspective, like, it's like, you keep putting out content, like, you seem like you're such a hard worker, you're very funny. And I feel like you're one of the people who's gonna like, stand through this pandemic and, you know, maybe get some awesome shit at the end. Um, Yeah. Um, But uh, thank you so much for like, talking to me about like, personal stuff and feminism, sexuality, all the cool stuff. Um, That's just like what I want to do on this podcast. And, um, Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. All right. I will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Make sure to check out John Marco's comedy special premiering on Amazon next week. It's called Shelf Life. Once again, thank you to Melissa and the Mannequins for the theme song. And see you guys later.